Many of us would have woken up this morning, including myself, and you jump online and have a look at a few news stories, and you see that overnight WHO, uh, the World Health Organization, have declared a global pandemic in light of the coronavirus. Many suggested it was coming. It is here now. Well, on the line to talk about it is Michael Baker, who is the Professor of Public Health at the University of Otago in Wellington, and he has formerly worked with uh, WHO as well. Very, very good afternoon, Michael. Hello there. Yeah, kia, ora. Kia, ora. kia ora. Kia ora. Well, thank you for your time. Really good of you to come on and give us your, your experience and your wisdom. So can we begin by saying, Michael, for those that aren't aware, what is it, now that we've got a pandemic, what is a pandemic? A global pandemic, especially. Yes. Um, no, um, the terms are can be tricky, and pandemic is quite a sort of flexible term. Uh, a pandemic is just a widespread epidemic infecting or affecting multiple countries. Right. So this has been a pandemic, many of us would say, for about a month, but the World Health Organization has held off um, using that term. Partly, I think they want to encourage all countries to try and stop it, to contain it. And they don't want, I guess, to give the idea that it's not containable. It is containable, but it's too late for the world. It's going to be a global pandemic. There's no question about it. And potentially, if it's not stopped in particular countries and regions, it could infect um, 40 to 60 percent of the world's population in the next one to two years. Michael, has there been a global pandemic, say, in the last 50 years previously? There have been um, pandemics um, occasionally. We've had three influenza pandemics in the last 60 years. Right. But uh, to, say, to see anything of this scale, you have to go back to 1918. Um, so that's slightly over 100 years ago when we had a very severe influenza pandemic. But this is not at that scale, but it is certainly larger than the previous pandemics we've seen. Yes. Does the World Health Organization issuing that term, global pandemic, does that trigger anything for countries? Is, does anything get put into action just because that term's been used or it's pretty much status quo? Yeah, it doesn't really change anything very much. I mean, it's just another one of those, um, I guess, um, landmarks. It's something we passed another point in looking at this event. Uh, the, the actual official thing was back in the 30th of January when they declared it a public health emergency of international concern. And that actually is defined in international law, that, that point. And so we passed that point, and since then it's just been confirming, if you like, its trajectory that it was going that way and nothing has really stopped it. Is it your impression that different countries are approaching it in rather different ways? And in other words, what I'm getting to, are, are there some countries that are really sort of onto it and, and really active and proactive and other countries that are struggling, do you think? Yeah, um, I think the world now is splitting into countries that are having real problems containing it and those that have are containing it, in fact. And... Many of us thought when this emerged that it was not stoppable. Um, you could slow it down and you could protect people, which is very valuable, but it was going to go everywhere. And now, of course, China led the way in showing they could stop this pandemic, they could contain it. And now other countries are also showing they can contain it. That's Hong Kong, Singapore, uh, Taiwan. And so really I think um, New Zealand and Australia are now some of the only other countries around who are containing it so far, and I think we should really go full bore on that. Michael, why then countries like Iran, where it seems to have been a real problem and is currently a real problem, and Italy, 
Why have they not been able to contain it? What, what are they doing differently? What are they not doing? Well, they didn't get in early enough. Um, it's partly bad luck, I should say, because yeah. what happened was that infected people went to those countries probably in January and they started chains of transmission that only become apparent after a couple of months. Right. And so that's the real problem, that if it gets away on you, it's really hard to manage. Once you've got hundreds of cases, perhaps even thousands of cases in the community, it's too late to contain it. Unless you do the kind of uh, very draconian things that China did, yeah, which, yeah. which wouldn't really be acceptable in many countries. No. Yeah, that's a good point. Is this a particularly deceptive virus in, in as much as it, it does seem hard to sort of track down? Look, I, I, maybe I'm wrong in this, and you'll know, Michael, but... I read somewhere that, you know, in terms of taking people's temperature at the airports or borders isn't necessarily very um, satisfactory because it doesn't present sometimes in patients for up to, you know, a week or something before they start to get hot. So is it a deceptive virus? That's exactly right. I mean, that problem of incubation period applies to all infectious diseases. There are some, as this um, pandemic's progressed, it's been clear that this virus is different from influenza and it gives us, in, in two important ways, its incubation period is a bit longer, you know, five or six days rather than, you know, one to three days. And also, most people who are sick, most people who are infected are sick. They have some symptoms. So uh, they can be detected and then isolated, and then you can contact their, um, or you trace their contacts and quarantine them. So it is stoppable, but it will require a huge ramping up of effort in New Zealand. Yeah. And I think also the whole country has to get behind this, and we all have to do our bit. Mm, absolutely. Michael, one of the impressions, as for Simon and myself, and I'm sure for many people listening, from reading reports and hearing reports on this, is that um, COVID-19 is particularly severe and having an absolute dreadful effects and killing people that are, that are older, sort of over 70, and that by and large, children, thankfully, appear to be escaping the worst effects. Is that actually a fact, or, or have we all got the wrong impression? No, you're absolutely right, and that's a really important um, feature of this infection. And uh, really, um, everyone gets infected if you're exposed because none of us have immunity to it. Right. But um, children under 20 have very few symptoms, and I don't think there's been any death in a child under 10, which is a huge relief. Also, it doesn't seem to affect pregnant women, unlike influenza. This is all really good news, but the other side is that if you're over 80 particularly or even over... um, 60 or 70, but particularly if you have an underlying illness like um, chronic heart disease, lung disease, uh, renal problems, um, then you have to take huge precautions to avoid getting sick. We actually think as a society we should work really hard to protect our older people and people with these illnesses. Joined on the show by Michael Baker, Professor of Public Health at the University of Otago in Wellington, also has worked with the World Health Organisation, so it's just great to have you on, Michael. Thank you for that. Thank you. Now, Michael, um, I'm just looking at CNN um, on one of our screens here, and the the headline, it says, Breaking news, Italy has record jump of coronavirus cases, 2,313 as of today. Why, Why is it affecting them so badly, says one texter as well, and why so many deaths in Italy? Well, um, the epidemiology will vary a bit around the world, but basically, and unfortunately, that's what it's going to do everywhere if you don't stop it. Right. Um, so there's just a little, they may be just two or three weeks ahead of some other places. Um, this is called exponential rise. Each case infects maybe two to three others. 
and initially you don't see much and then it really takes off. So unfortunately, countries that can't get super organized really quickly are going to see, see this pattern. Right. And also, um, the, because uh, as you point out, the risk is much higher in older people. Yeah. Because Italy does have an, an aging population, they are actually at higher risk of, of having people die or be admitted to, to intensive care with breathing problems. Exactly. Okay. Now, can I ask, Michael, one of the things, and it's being dismissed in some quarters in the United States as political point scoring, but what the United States is doing, from your impression, are you happy with how they're handling the situation or, or does it concern you? Because they do seem... Is now it seems to be ballooning up about the number of people with coronavirus in the states. Yeah, well, I think um, the U.S. could suffer particularly badly from this pandemic because remembering the things that New Zealand is doing and the other countries doing that have contained it are about organised efforts of society. And yeah. we've got a um, you know universal health system which is really helpful, a highly organised government who is really on the ball, and. Really, in the U.S., it's got none of those things. So um, they just do not have the capacity. Their system is, you know, it's laissez-faire um, and uh, user pays. And that is just not a system that's very well adapted to these kind of threats. Right. Very, very good. David says on text, Michael, um, I'd love to know how long the virus can live outside the body. Do you have any information on that, Michael? Y- yes. Um, well, people have done reviews of... Um, multiple studies of the other coronaviruses, the ones, the four, we've got four that cause the cold in people, yeah. and obviously SARS and MERS, the other two dangerous ones. And they can actually survive um, for, um, you know, um, over a week on hard surfaces. Good Lord. Um, but it's not clear how important that is for transmission. I mean, still the main way you get this is someone coughs or sneezes close to you and you breathe in those... Um, those droplets, mm. yeah, uh, or you get them on your face or eyes or nose. But some of them will also f- fall onto surfaces, and if you touch those surfaces, then you could also transfer it to your own face. I right. mean, that, that's not as important as the, um, the droplets, but it is possible, right. and I think it's one of the other ways, reasons for um, you know, increasing social distance um, and, and also um, uh, if for people who are sick. The number one thing is people who are sick with um, the symptoms, so that's um, fever, cough, and feeling tired particularly, they must stay at home. And the main thing is do not go, if you've got a cough, do not leave your house, don't go to work and cough on your workmates or school Mm. or social events. Right. Michael, there is a school of thought going around that the virus is now so big and, and rapidly expanding that pretty much everybody is going to get it at some point. Um, most won't die from. I think that the, the fatality rate is around sort of three percent. Are you of that view that that even though New Zealand is taking such extreme precautions, are you of the view that we probably there'll be a very very high sixty seventy percent of us that will contract this virus? Well, without any control measures, yes, I think it's in the range of forty to seventy percent probably over the next year. But actually, uh, I think New Zealand is one of the only countries that can potentially contain it and stop right. it. Gee. And so. This is where uh, a strong national effort is really important. Everyone doing their bit about you know, those basic things of just staying at home if you're sick. But also I think we'll ramp up a whole lot of um, measures to um, identify cases quickly and isolate them 
and mm. follow up their contacts, like what we're doing at the moment, yep. and also keeping the border controls underway. And really, countries that can do that are going to emerge from this pandemic in pretty good shape. Right. It's going to be really tough, but I think New Zealand could do it. Right. Well, Michael, look, it's been so, so good talking with you. We've really enjoyed it, and I'm sure it's been very helpful for a lot of our family of listeners too, so much appreciated. Hugely informative, Michael. Thank you very, very much indeed. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you. Michael Baker, uh, Professor of Public Health at the University of Otago in Wellington.